welcome to the Books Brothers Podcast, where each week we read, discuss, and challenge each other to become better men, and have a few laughs in the process. The Books Brothers are currently reading The Mask of Masculinity, how men can embrace vulnerability, create strong relationships, and live their fullest lives by Lewis Howes. This week, the guys discuss the athlete mask. Athletics and competition are great, but like anything, it can be taken too far and winning and dominance can become a strong source of identity for men. And when that dominance and identity are taken off the sporting field and into our homes, it can often have negative effects, not just to ourselves, but to our family and friends around us. We'll discuss how sports and athletics shaped us growing up, the positive and negative effects of putting our identity in sports, and how we handle our competitive drive today. After the show, please share your comments and feedback on the Athlete Mask discussion by emailing us at connect at booksbrotherspodcast.com. Now sponsoring Poe Boy's Cajun Seasoning for all of your fish needs. Lemon pepper seasoning. Robbie Rose lemon pepper seasoning. Dude, I love me lemon pepper. Put it on everything. If you don't, if you don't eat lemon pepper, you're not a man. We've got to have an, have an ad for a tool to scrape, scrape old chicken off of the pan. Oh snap! Do you have a roommate that likes to cook eggs, raw dog? <laughs> you, like you, need, you need you need the super scraper, and you you might need a new pan too, because the super scraper don't even work when Rob's used it. <laughs> Dude, we never had like butter, olive oil, coconut oil, ham spray. Don't, don't even start, bro. We had everything you needed. Yeah, you, you just left that chicken breast on there. Oh, man. Dude, I still have that video of Stalin standing over the sink when the sink is so full that it's touching the faucet. And he can't even fit the scrubber underneath the faucet to scrub something underneath because somebody left all these dishes. We probably all left all these dishes yeah. in there, but <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. I missed that. I'd never seen Adam mad before that. I had never seen Adam. Yeah, mad Adam was that. pissed at the dishes. That was, that was, that was mad, Adam, and I, it was like still not really mad. But it was that like, other, that that's time I got really know. mad was whenever Thomas put all the broken chair pieces in my bed. <laughs> Because, because the next morning I was like, Thomas, like, why is the chair in a bed? And you said, he said either Matt, Matt or Rob said, Adam broke the chair. And I was like, yes, Adam Flessner. You jumped, you jumped off Thomas's chair to dunk the ball. Or <laughs> my pants on or off. What did we ever do with that basketball hoop that we got off eBay that was like uh, actually you probably broke it? I don't think we broke no, that. Rob that one was like metal. Rob, Rob didn't even know what the rim felt like because he couldn't commit. <laughs> oh, snap. I didn't want to break it, man. <laughs> I mean, dude, we, we have to admit those ceilings in there were super low. They were super so, low. That's why I'll never forget the jump ball with Adam Repo. We tried to do a jump ball, and I just nut tapped him like crazy. <laughs> he fell down. <laughs> you remember that? He's such a nice guy. He didn't, he didn't deserve yeah. that. He was like ready to that's, jump. That's, and I why, just that's why Repo became a Marine. <clears throat> All right, boys. It was that moment that he knew. So this week we are going to discuss chapter two which is the athlete mask and before we get into it i wanted to mention a little bit of context um i wanted to talk about the author a little bit and i wanted to talk about our group as well because that definitely colors the perspective that you have on this chapter so our group of guys at books brothers we were all pretty into sports i would say we were all pretty athletic interested in those sort of things. Um, and I know we're probably going to have a lot of examples of how this aspect of our lives shaped us, good or bad. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the discussion. But as a listener, you might not have been serious about athletics or sports, and that's okay. Understandably, you may not fully appreciate the author's perspective when he 
talks about these these things, athletics and sports in general. But I bet there is something in your life that you could compare this to in terms of how seriously you took it and how much it shaped you. And maybe how much your parents pushed you into it for good reasons, but maybe some of those things turned out to be negatives in the end. So I just wanted to provide a little bit of context about the author before we got into the athlete mask. So Lewis Howes grew up focusing on sports as a way to improve himself. Uh, His father was by his side coaching him and cheering him on. Athletic achievement naturally became a largely positive source of motivation and self-esteem in his life. However, his childhood wasn't without struggles. He was abused at the age of five sexually. His brother was incarcerated for drug charges at the age of eight. He said he often felt dumb and lonely in school because he was bullied for being in special needs classes. And it seemed like early on he could rely on athletic achievement as something he could control in his life. And it was a convenient distraction from probably any negative thoughts or feelings he had about himself. As he grew older, he continued to excel in sports. And as a senior in college, Lewis's father was left in a coma after being in a car accident. After waking up three months later, Lewis said his father wasn't really the same as it pertains to how much he cared about his sports achievements. He said it didn't really matter to him anymore, which I think was a pretty big shot to his pride and probably to his relationship with his father. Lewis continued his athletic career after college. In college, by the way, he earned the title of All-American. He was a football player and decathlete, and then he went on to play arena football for one season, but that was cut short by an injury, meaning he had to deal with the realities of not being able to hide behind this athletic mask anymore. So yeah, Lewis discusses in this chapter, by the way, all this stuff, I I didn't get all of it from the book. I did a little bit of my own research. He had quite a few podcast episodes from his podcast, School of Greatness, that had information and some other, he's written other books as well that I, I was able to find some of this info off of. But Lewis discusses how athletics and sports shaped him and other high-level athletes that he knows in this chapter. And he likened an athlete to a modern-day gladiator whose weapon isn't death but domination. And he mentioned that it it felt like dominance and athletics meant dominance as a man. And he starts out the chapter with a quote, He's a man who destroys himself running for a finish line that doesn't exist. So I just wanted to open it up to you guys. Um, Anybody have any examples of how sports shaped you growing up, uh, positive or negative? And was there ever such a thing in your mind growing up that it was possible to be too dedicated to sports? For me, no. I never thought that I would have been too dedicated to sports. I never had that motivation or calling or whatever you want to call it to be so dedicated to a sport that it defined my life. I love sports. I played a lot of sports growing up. I played soccer and baseball in elementary school. I played basketball for my middle school. Uh, I played tennis in high school, played a ton of sports just with friends for fun, like volleyball and ultimate Frisbee and golf and random backyard games. Garrett and I used to play with a group of friends our senior year about two or three times a week playing, just playing sand volleyball. And that was so much fun. One of my favorite memories of growing up. And we actually got pretty good (laughs) Um, getting into college, like (laughs) trying out for the fraternity volleyball team. I was pleasantly surprised that we were better than most of the people who had like grown up playing volleyball for their schools. (laughs) But I don't know. I've been blessed with athletic ability. I was never the best at any one sport, but I was good at pretty much every sport. You're super coordinated. That's the thing about you. I feel like you're you're like the most coordinated, like Matt can just pick up anything and, and be good at it. I feel like. 
Especially yeah. an N64 controller. <laughs> it was, it, it, was <laughs> that. it was the greatest sport of all. Yeah. Never yeah. forget the first the time I beat him. His blood, obviously, but <laughs> I was very good at ping pong. I wasn't the best, but definitely <laughs> my blood. <laughs> I think I think I I put a lot of my identity throughout like middle school and high school in sports. So I played soccer, uh, football, and baseball in middle school, and I was pretty bad at I was very bad at baseball and I was okay at football. <laughs> the meatball. <laughs> meat Didn't you have the meatball? Yeah, oh floater pitch. Floater pitch. That's what it was. <laughs> pitch, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was pretty I was pretty good at soccer though. And like starting in seventh grade, I was playing soccer year round and that was something that <clears throat> I was on a travel team and uh, we got like ranked in the state. And I feel like that was something that I put a lot of energy and a lot of time into. And I kind of re- like, I really related to Lewis when he's talking in this chapter about, I feel like what I was like when I was reading it, I was relating to it in putting identity in sports. And I would say that I put my identity in, in athleticism and sports uh, at a younger age. And it was something that was just very important to me. And it was something that my mood on the week would depend on it. But I know Adam knows about this. I don't know if the rest of you guys know about this, but when I was a sophomore in high school, I actually fractured a bone in my back and had to take like a year off of sports. And I remember like as a 16 year old, like wearing a back brace at school. And then when that happened, I also like had like allergic reactions and like hives and, and and, like I had shingles my sophomore year. Sophomore year of high school was just awful. That's rough. And um, Isn't that what made you get into physical therapy? Yeah. So I mean, really that was like what like brought me into like the injuries, what grew my interest in physical therapy, having like lost my identity in sports and in soccer is something that played a huge role in like my spiritual and the faith journey. It was something that I think that as my, the things I put value in were going away, I put value in more things that really seemed to matter. And that was also a time where I feel like I had connected a lot more with, with friends, um, like whether it be friends in the church or uh, my friend group. And, you know, obviously that Adam and I knew each other at this point. And I was like, I would say that was probably when we started hanging out a lot more. It was probably sophomore year. Um, I was kind of in a transition in life. And a lot of the group that I was hanging out with before then, I was losing interest in that. But really like losing soccer for that year was awful at the time. But it's something I look back on. It was a huge defining moment for me. I feel like when you're growing up, sports is kind of like a caste system for school almost in terms of where you fall, in terms of how popular you are, how cool you are, maybe how other guys view you as whether you're tough or not, right? Mm-hmm. I was in band and I played trombone, but I also got into sports. And I just imagine without the sports side of that, I would have been judged so much differently in mm-hmm. uh like middle school, junior high, high school. And so my parents never really pushed me to do anything, honestly. But I think the reason I got into sports and stuck with it and applied myself is because of the social benefits, to be honest. I think I was always excited to, you know, improve and whatnot. But I think the fact that I made so many friends and the fact that I felt accepted a lot of times was really what motivated me when I look back to be good at sports. I think for me, I've had a lot of just like a lot of reflective experiences that drive me, you know, kind of embarrassingly even to this day. Not so much anymore, but there's still hints of them. I just always enjoyed sports. I don't think I was ever pushed to be competitive or anything like that for my parents. They were always like very supportive. Like, what do you want to do? All right, we'll support you to do that. Super competitive from a young age. I mean, I remember like if like the chiefs would lose on Sunday, I like, it's like, you just don't, don't talk to Garrett for a couple hours. He needs to like recover <laughs> just like super competitive. <laughs> and then in high school, didn't make the basketball team as a freshman. And I came from a private school where I was like pretty good. So kind of like hit a bottom, worked really hard, made the teams but ultimately like senior year there was a lot of you know just unfulfilled expectations a lot of i would say misleadings playing football yeah there was a lot of kind of pain where i was just kind of like led astray and and wasn't i i just i learned a lot coming to the fraternity 
there was like a, they were diametrically different experiences where in high school I was performing in fear of not making a mistake. And then I came and it's like intramurals, we're just having fun. And then like you like play and like Matt said, it's like, yeah, we were, we we're pretty good. And then you have like a group of guys that are like behind you and like, yeah, like you are good at sports, go crush the other fraternity out there or whatever. I performed, I think I kind of joke, but I feel like I hit my peak athleticism in college. And I don't think there was a huge shift necessarily. Only one year of time had spanned from my senior year of high school to my sophomore year of college when the chapter voted me the sportsman of the year. But I think it was like a mental thing where like it was, I hope I catch this ball or I make this block or I'm going to get chewed out publicly in front of the offense. And then you go like fast forward one year and you got a bunch of guys and they bring the sororities and they're like, you guys are awesome. Let's go win the championship. Just like encouraging and like performing out of a position of people are confident and encouraging me. That's just been very like something I've reflected on a lot and just how your intrinsic motivations can impact your performance in anything. Are you performing based out of fear of losing something or are you performing based out of, Hey, like if I screw up, I'm not going to get benched by the chapter. It's just intramurals kind of thing. But, um, a lot of that still has driven me where I worked hard for something and coaches kind of built me up. They'd make plays for me in practice and then we'd never do them in the games. And the last playoff game, I went from being a starter to like, I played like three plays and no one ever had a conversation with me. Like, Hey, you're, your performance is declining, which it was. And so we're going to put this other guy who's better than you. You know, that would have hurt, but I, w- I would have rather someone just told me that. And so I think a lot of times from that point on, you know, 15 years later, it can be something where it's like, all right, someone thinks I can't do something. I'm going to work my tail off and prove them wrong, which can be wrong motivations and can be motivated by anger. And yeah, it's like if I'm performing well, then I'm accepted and then I'm good enough as a person. Mm-hmm. And so there, there was a lot of formative experiences in that high school to early college time frame that have still kind of stuck with me even to this day. Yeah. That's good, Garrett. Yeah. Being benched, being benched isn't just about your uh, athletic ability, right? It's, it's deeper than that because I do feel like you find yourself feeling beneath maybe some of your peers in a deeper way than just, okay, I'm not as good at running as him or something. So for me answering this question, I'm still growing up. I think we all are men and we're all growing up, but I don't think I really put my identity necessarily in sports. I think what, you know, Garrett, you're maybe talking about like competition in general, right on page 51, it says, Winning arguments and being competitive is proof of someone behind the athletic mask. So that could be like debate team, or that could literally just be you're having a conversation with someone and and you want to prove that your point is right, you know? Um, So I feel like I struggle with more of just the competitive nature in general, not necessarily always linked to sports, right? So like, can my output at work prove that I'm running rings around other people? You know, like what does the review at the end of the year look like? I think some of those things I struggle with even today, which is the whole competitive side rather than sports itself. But I will share a story that I've been thinking about as I read this chapter. So I played golf with some 18-year-olds that were basically seniors going into college that I'd been walking with through youth ministry for the past two years. And these kids, they can smoke these drives and their golf game's pretty good. One of them played for high school and I never played for high school. I'm a bogey golfer, but these guys were spanking me, man. And (laughs) my... My whole identity that day was like slowly declining. Like my manhood was slowly declining because here I am a 32 year old man and getting spanked at a game that I've played longer than these guys have honestly been alive. Um, 
and I walked out like super defeated, like, wow, I, I I'm walking next to these guys after a round and they probably think that I'm a joke, you know, but mm-hmm. we then had a fall retreat that same day, um, where I was able to lead both of these guys about things that actually matter about men struggling yeah. with habitual sin, with pornography and masturbation and being able to be a witness to them in their lives and, and showcase that, Hey, whether you sink a 20 foot putt doesn't matter. It's about your soul and it's about your sanctity and it's about, uh, being a man that really counts. So that was just like a full circle, like, wow, I felt really bad, but then the Lord redeemed just the goodness and, and what it means to be truly authentically man. Great story, man. Yeah. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Broga classes. Discover the ancient art of broga, where downward dog meets spilled my beer. <laughs> dive into <laughs> dive into poses like the remote deadlift, the couch crunch, and the pizza plank. Master the balance of Zen and Z's. Broga. Namaste right here with my snacks. <laughs> Last part is so fun. That's one of the best. Namaste. And now back to the show. Rob, that reminds me, um, I played tennis in high school and I played tennis a lot with my dad growing up. And by the time I started playing in high school in probably halfway into the season, I'd just gotten better. And when I would play with my dad before then, we would pretty much be 50, 50. I'd win half. He'd win half. And once I started playing more consistently, I'd beat him like every time. And I'd beat him by a lot. And I still remember I was probably, it was probably my sophomore year or maybe like late in my freshman year where I had a time I was playing him and I was just playing very poorly and he was beating me. I essentially was being a sore loser. And so I think it was an interesting situation because I remember when I finished playing with my dad, he basically was like, I don't want to play with you anymore because the one time I actually beat you, you get like all this attitude and all this like sassiness and (laughs) anger and frustration. And it was interesting because I think as guys, we, the idea of like competing with our dads, it feels like something that is very ingrained in us. And especially like, as you mentioned, Rob competition sports, you know, but really sports is the, is, is the cover for it, but it can be a lot of different things, but I was competing really with my dad. And similarly in that scenario, I feel like my dad reminded me of like, this is a game. Like, don't forget, this is a game. And he, in that situation got really upset with me, but basically eventually talked to me about it through like how, you know, if you're going to lose, like lose, lose well, like lose better than that. And I still remember that story because it was one of these situations where, um, I think at that age, I just, all that mattered is competing and competing well and, um, not making a fool of yourself, but obviously there was a bigger lesson to it. Yeah. Flez, what do you got, man? Nice job, Mr. Stalen. Yeah. I mean, growing up, I mean, I played fast forward to high school. I mean, varsity basketball, varsity baseball, I mean, I played soccer for two years in high school. Stalen, we talked about that last week. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> 13 seconds freshman year <laughs> rock with summit high school you're really proud of that 13 <laughs> seconds are you still talking about you? soccer no to give the backstory on that all of our guy friends played soccer and all of us like played on a travel team and adam played on the freshman team and made the team and ended up being like a starter for the team and played forward and did really well i mean he ended up scoring like a lot of goals that year and it was just funny because yeah we you you knew like you weren't playing as much as us, but yet here you were doing really well. <laughs> I didn't ever think that. I thought I was just having fun with my buddies. You know what I mean? But, I mean, I was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, no. Anyway, like uh, baseball was my sport. I mean, I was I was going to hitting lessons. My dad was paying for me to go to hitting lessons with. Uh, uh, he at one time was a scout for the Florida Marlins when they won the world series to the guy to world series ring. And I mean, I was just really dedicated to, to baseball mostly. And then kind of playing basketball and soccer for fun. You know, I went to a showcase at Missouri state and played on Hammond's field there for a day. And I was looking to play in college possibly. And a funny story. I remember there, they, they rated your, all your attributes based on what college level they thought you could play. 
and uh, like D1, D2, or D3. And uh, I got, I think I got mostly D2, but they gave me D1 hands. <laughs> Do you remember this, Adam? No. And I remember taking the sheet back to Summit, back to school, and being like, D1 hands. <laughs> You're competing but, for Rob for the best hands in the Midwest, I guess. <laughs> but, um, but I ended up, uh, ended up getting hurt. I ended up, my elbow just died on me. I just had really terrible, I think it was either probably lateral epicondylitis, just tendonitis in my elbow. Don't you go dying on me. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I was popping like 1,600 milligrams ibuprofen every day before practice just to try to throw a ball. And it was like, all right, this is, you know, looking back, it's like, it's probably a little too into that, (laughs) doing that, you know, in high school. I didn't know you were getting high back then, man. (laughs) (laughs) Ibuprofen. (laughs) <laughs> uh, we'll, have to, over we'll, here. we'll have to cut that out we don't want people thinking that Adam is a drug addict <laughs> well ibuprofen is a drug that's funny <laughs> um but yeah i mean no like i can relate i mean i'm gonna probably jump the gun here talking about steve cook a little bit but yeah, uh, yeah i mean like i can relate to to a lot of that stuff like uh, this chapter kind of hit me hard obviously but with the whole powerlifting thing, going through a divorce. And I know once, uh, once I got hurt in baseball, it was the gym, you know, it's like, uh, I think I've always had to have some, something competitive, yeah, you know, in my life. And if I don't, it's like, I think a lot of that is a result of just having always moved in some capacity. And it's like, uh, some sort of structure for movement. Honestly, I don't see that as a bad thing necessarily unless it takes over, obviously like anything else though. But, uh, I think, you know, going from powerlifting to the gym and getting too into that. I mean, I talked about all that last week, but I can relate, I think most to the relationship aspect of this now and having to win conversations like in an emotional relationship I have to really, really con like I have to be very careful about that and be like very aware in conversations. Um, Otherwise I tend to be like that to an extreme. Like I have to not necessarily have to win, but it's like, I have to, no matter what, like they have to see my side of it. You know, I can't, like, I just have a hard time. I don't know. Um, It's something that I have to really work on and I don't know. Do you guys relate to that at all? Like in your marriages at all? Like, do you have a hard time with that? Or has that been something that you've had to work on over the the years? The whole team aspect of, Mm -hmm. of this chapter talking about, um, you know, being in a relationship with a woman and her feeling like instead of being on the same team, you are competing against each other. That's something that I feel like early on I identified uh, between me and my wife, but it was still hard for me to change my actions. You know, we would have conversations and remind ourselves, hey, we're on the same team, right? Yeah, we're on the same team. But then again, it was it was hard to kill that habit of, well, I need to have the last word here so that I feel like you said heard or, you know, so that I feel like my ego satisfied in this instance or about this subject. So I definitely feel like, you know, as a competitive person, I'm, I'm a lot better at that than I used to be, but it was a problem. Yeah. I, I think yeah, I still I can relate to that too. struggle with that. Right. I mean, I know I've struggled with it early on of having to have the last word and having to make sure she knows, Hey, well, this is really what I meant, or I didn't really mean it that way or whatever. I think you quoted Dale Garnicky. How to win friends, influence people, but you can't win an argument. If you win, you lose. So the moment that I try to get the last word, I lose. But I think for her, she just wants to be seen and understood and listened to. And I'm over here trying to win an argument that she's really not trying to have. She just wants to be seen. Ruth and I talk a lot about we'll use the phrase like falling on your sword. And like, I, f- I feel like in a, in a relationship, you're going to have times where you have to just fall on your sword and be like, I'm not going to win this one. And like, that's okay. And 
Oh, I'm trying to remember the author, but, uh, it's a book about marriage. It's the guy, John Gottman, I think is his name, Steve Gottman, John Gottman, but he did a book about marriage and he, he talks about how keeping the problem, the problem and like how your spouse is not the problem, but the problem is the problem. And so trying to like find resolution with that in light of like, yeah, the male desire or like just the human nature desire to like want to, want to win an argument or win a discussion. Yeah. Matt, I know you're about, about to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say that I can relate Flez a couple of different ways. I was never super, super competitive for sports, but I was still competitive in some capacity. And if there are times when I'm playing a game or even like a board game or like fantasy football where I feel like I should be winning, but I'm not. <laughs> and I have no control of the outcome of how these games are played. Like it's all chance but I still feel like I should be winning, then I get mad. <laughs> and <laughs> I've, I've come a long way, especially <laughs> especially with fantasy football. Like, I would get mad if I lost in fantasy football when I first started. <laughs> Did you trade, do an illegal trade with your wife to, to win it and go into the playoffs? I'm going to cut that part out, Rob. <laughs> Wait, what happened? <laughs> what happened? Emily and I were in a fantasy football league and we decided to do a trade that I immediately rejected Ooh. after it was accepted because I was like, ah, I can't do that. It's collusion. That's not right. <laughs> and now everyone's still getting a hard time about it. <laughs> but anyways. That's funny. Yeah, like if Emily and I are just playing a board game. And it's gotten a lot better over the last few years, but I'll just get mad that she was winning and I wasn't, mm-hmm. and I felt like I should be winning yeah. or when it comes to arguments or, or things like that, I feel like I, I'm very narrow minded in what I want to say and what I want to get across. And it's hard for me to, especially in the moment, hear other people's points of view or different perspectives and take that into consideration in the heat of the moment. I'll think back on it later, but at the time I just get frustrated that I'm not getting my point across. You're not understanding what I'm trying to say. I don't want to repeat myself. So I just get mad and I kind of shut down. I think that like Matt, what you're saying, Matt, with what you're saying there, that all that has everything to do with this chapter and talking about like the athlete mask, because really it's competition, really Mm -hmm. what I I think it comes down to, as Rob was alluding to earlier. And, you know, all these examples in this chapter were pro athletes. Well, obviously you heard from our stories. We all, it sounds like we were all some major athletes, but none of us were pro <laughs> athletes, nor did we play in college. Yeah, but you, you feel JV, like I'm you, the guy. you are, right? Yeah. I mean, you feel yeah. like it's so yeah. important in the moment oh, yeah. that you win yeah. every single time. That's all that matters yeah. is winning. But I, yeah. And I think that, that definitely bleeds into how really it's like, we have this, this mask of like competition, like this desire to, you know, I think it was, Thomas, it was one of the first things you said, like the desire to like dominate. Um, and yeah, I mean, you see that play out in work, you see that play out in like people that you're conversing with where you're trying to basically one up each other. Um, I remember I, I worked with this guy at my first, the first clinic I worked at and me and my manager would make up fake stories that were ridiculous <laughs> because we knew he would try to one up it. Kind of curious what he would say. And he, he, every time he would try and it'd be like some crazy <laughs> story. He'd still try to one up it. <laughs> That's what so do you think true. the root of that is? Do you think it's like not just him, but like all this, like dominance, like why do we want to be dominant? Like, you think it's because we feel insecure if pe- other people are better That's than us. Say, like, is it like I have to be better than everyone? I just felt like I'd get left behind. I'd be I'd be out of the the group if I couldn't at least yeah. keep up in terms of yeah. So not good my, enough. Not good enough to be included. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I just yeah. was always afraid that I would fall out of favor because oh, he can't even do this or whatever. Right. You want to stay relevant because, like he said. You know, and you remember those days at recess, getting picked towards last or not getting picked first. I mean, you remember those things. I think it's, and then it trickles down into how you perceive yourself in other things, I always especially as a little kid. 
<laughs> yeah, you were probably the team captain. I'm just <laughs> I, I remember I remember being like, yeah, very envious of Matt. Just like mad a lot because I would train, I would practice, I'd lift weights. Matt shows up. He's like so skinny. So fast. <laughs> eats though. whatever he wants. And then he just like shows up and he's like better than me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I would be so mad. I would be so mad. Flaz, what were you going to say though? Yeah. Sorry, Garrett. I didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> I'm better than you and I know it. Yeah. I've been thinking about that quote for the last five minutes. <laughs> Sorry, Flaz. Yeah, you're good. Sorry, go ahead. Um, I think my core drive is love, intimacy. So like if I'm not... Like if I'm not seen as like, if like I'm doing well or like winning, then I'm like, I might not be loved. Mm. I think that's what drives me yeah. like on a deep level. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it's not good, but <laughs> it's a lonely, you know. if you're an athlete, you know, that's such a lonely place to be. Right. Because you're, you're putting all your effort into being loved for your athletic ability, but mm-hmm you know, deep down, nobody actually knows who you are and loves you for that. Right. And I think that's what a lot of these pro athletes said is like, after I got hurt and I couldn't play anymore or whatever, I realized nobody actually knew who I was and I didn't even probably know. So, yeah, I want to bring up Steve cook again though, because, um, he's actually somebody I followed for a while and I actually met him last year at my gym in Honolulu. No he way. Working out. Yeah. I, I saw him and I was like, that looks exactly like Steve cook. I saw his quads. I was like, wow. totally mm-hmm. mine. I was like, man, yeah. dude has some <laughs> solid, solid trunks there. But, um, so this guy was, a he was interviewed by, uh, Lewis house in one of his podcast episodes, like seven years ago or something. Mm. And he played college football and ended up being a pro bodybuilder after he won like this model search. Um, and he said his parents pushed him really hard into athletics to kind of run his energy out because he had a lot of it as a kid and just talked about how his parents had really good intentions, but maybe the fact that he put so much stock in athletics and his ability set him up for failure later in life when he didn't have that all the time. And he mentions in the podcast episode, and then this gets into the book that, you know, as men, we all kind of grow up watching masculine figures on TV, like Arnold or Stallone and like action movies or thinking about like the lone cowboy is the most masculine, strong thing you can be. Um, But he points out that the fact that those guys in those movies sacrifice for others Mm. Uh, those are the things that we actually, we think we just like them because of their looks or their muscles or whatever. But the fact that they're putting aside their own interests for others is what we actually are attracted to. And I thought that mm-hmm. was really cool because I think that's true, you know? And then he mentions you're better at sports and you're a better athlete also when you put the the needs of the team first, typically. Yeah. So it's just a win all around if you don't yeah. think like that. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Are your shoulders so big that you can't fit? (laughs) (laughs) Are your shoulders so big that you can't fit through your doorways anymore? Are those shoulder days now causing problems for your accessibility? Now introducing Doorway Widener. This sledgehammer eliminates the need for contractor removal remodeling and allows you just to easily knock out walls at your convenience. Why hire someone to widen your doorway when you can bang out those walls yourself? Doorway widener. <laughs> I think that would be a good product for that'd be a good product for Flies to use. And now back to the show. Thomas, were you going to ask a question with that? I had a thought if you, if you didn't. No, but. go ahead. Go ahead. I just wanted to mention that because like Steve Cook is actually somebody I've followed for a long time and look up to. And, you know, I think he's, he's one of the guys in fitness that's actually calling out a lot of the shallow aspects of, of fitness cool. and, and trying to go a little bit deeper so that I think the younger guys who follow him don't get misled into putting all their energy into stuff that doesn't matter. Well, I'm just kind of curious in light of what we've been talking about. 
in obviously we're all guys that are active involved in athletic pursuits, still fitness, that kind of thing. I'm curious, where do you all feel like you're at nowadays with your, in your relationship with athlete mass? Do you feel like at this time, do you feel like you have a healthy relationship with your competition level, with your athleticism, or do you feel like it's something that you're pushing too far into? Or what do you guys think? I'm still scared to lose my athleticism. I think. I think I, I push myself to a certain extent because I'm afraid if I don't week to week that I'll lose part of that. I think I put I, I still put a lot of stock in that as part of my identity, and yeah. hopefully it's it's a lot more positive, you know, than it is negative. But yeah. I'll admit I do. What does that look like, Thomas? Like what specifically when it comes to, like what? athletic or fitness like things are you putting I would say right being over being overly concerned about not being able to meet a certain workout schedule or not being able to meet certain standards and in, in terms of maybe how I look or my yeah. weight you know like having a certain amount of muscle uh that's also something that that Steve Cook mentioned he struggled with was just the feeling of always feeling like you need to look a little bit bigger or be a little bit bigger I know Flez and I have talked about that quite a bit but yeah I, I think that you know it's it's a losing battle too right because unless you want to get on certain things that probably aren't good for you in the long run, you're never going to grow into a, an older gentleman and have that same level of performance. So I've gotten yeah, a lot better though. I'd say that like the last, sorry, Stalin, I'd say the no, last good. five years I've come to terms with the fact that, you know, as I, as I get a little bit older, my standards for that stuff don't, don't make sense anymore. And the reason why, I mean, I guess really why I asked it, because I was thinking like for myself and, you know, I've, I've been doing long distance running marathons and ultra marathons now for five, six years. And there was definitely times where I put way too much value in doing that being involved in that community and what I got out of it. I even recall like one time getting in a argument essentially with Ruth and I just was done with it. And I went and just like ran hill repeats and it was totally me just escaping and finding a way to cope with it. But I found that really I had to, and Adam and I have talked about this a lot because as I was like prepping for fatherhood, I knew I needed to really back off on how much I was running. You know, I knew I couldn't go be gone four or five hours on every Saturday anymore. And so I don't maybe love how I feel fitness wise right now, but I love being able to be there for my daughter right now. I love being able to be there for my wife. And I think I'm finding a healthier relationship with fitness that I think that I have struggled with in the past. I think with fitness in the past, it's been something that I have put as, as a, on the pedestal of the most important thing in my life. And I think finding balance is challenging, but I think being able to prioritize what's important and, you know, I'd like at one point to be able to do long distance running again and I'm still doing some running, but it just looks different right now because, you know, I've got a 12 week old daughter and that's, that's most important right now. Yeah. I think since marriage is when that really started to change for me because I wanted to spend more time with my wife rather than going to play volleyball on a random weeknight. I would have to say no to those friends because I wanted to spend more time with my wife. And yeah, I don't play nearly as many sports as I used to. I used to play all the time, like a couple of times a week. But now it's, I don't know, maybe once every three months that I actually do something sports related. And usually when I do, it's just to hang out with friends. Like I just want to connect with people. But yeah, that's been a, a big change for me just making priorities for relationships that I want to work on and people I want to connect with. For me now, when I work out or play sports, it's either a way to connect or just to try to stay healthy. Health and fitness is a really good thing overall, but I want to be healthy. I don't, I want to be able to like play with my kids whenever they're in sports. So I just try to work out for health reasons at this point. Yeah. On, Page 58, they say removing the athlete mask allows for creativity, culture, new experiences, connection, which is what you really hit on, balance and time for other things. So I I think we've all kind of hit on some of those things. I know, Flez, you used to spend hours and hours in the gym and now you're doing hikes and doing crazy things. And I think it's you're falling in love with new things that you realize are giving you greater fulfillment rather than that extra hour in the gym that you ultimately know isn't, it's probably wasted time. 
Exercise is depression's greatest enemy. So it's uh, it's complicated. And so, yeah, it's uh, but you can get exercise from other things than just, you know, doing one set of three at 550 on a squat and sitting there for an hour (laughs) 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 and having some Sour Patch Kids. Although, I mean, Sour Patch Kids slap sometimes, you know, Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, exercise is medicine, but yeah. Those kids know how to slap you real good. (laughs) Do you guys know anybody who like all of their relationships are based off of sports in some fashion? Do you guys have any friends where the only thing you talk about is sports? And if you think about, uh, what else do I know about this person? You actually don't know anything. You just know you're both into like the chiefs or something, because I feel like growing up in the Midwest, that's like half of old dudes. <laughs> yeah, Seriously. Like yeah. it's like that kind yeah. of surface level stuff is what their whole relationships based on with a lot of their friends. I don't know. That's kind of sad. Right. I, I think though you can bridge that gap though, by like continuing to be active and participating in active pursuits, like using that competition instead of just watching that competition. You know, I feel like one of the activities that I find to be a really great just time with a hanging out with a friend is doing like a hike or something like that. And I think, yeah, I mean, it's an athletic pursuit, but drastically different than just talking about a sports team because you're engaged in activity. And so I think, can you bridge the gap and instead of watching or, you know, just being a viewer for the the sport, can you continue to participate in it? And I think men in general, that's like a way that we always are able to connect better with others is by getting like being active together and, you know, competition essentially. Do some bro Thomas, your comment, like <laughs> I, I have pinned down like page 49 where He's talking about how like the psychologist equates sports to soap operas for men. Where that's where we actually connect with others. That's where we express emotion and joy. And I think what Flez said, what you guys have said, like, like we talked last week, these things aren't bad in and of themselves. It's when it gets taken too far. Like sports aren't bad. Exercise, not bad. It's when like, I have to like dominate because that's the only thing that's going to make me feel good enough is winning and then I'll be accepted by other people and then I'll finally be enough. Well then that never ends, right? Like the material mask, that's how it like someone always has more money. That's like, I I distinctly remember after the Royals won the world series eight years ago, I remember where I was, the feeling, the elation. And then within realistically like two minutes, I was like, wait, so like what, what's next? (laughs) <laughs> like we're just going to do this again next year. And it's easier to say that like these rich guys talking about how money's not that important. Like it's a lot easier oh, to say yeah. that right now, the chiefs have won two super bowls. Like we're in a winning state. So I'm aware of that, but I do distinctly remember. I was like, man, like I always wondered what this moment would feel like when my team won a championship. And then it was like, it lasted for like two minutes. Mm. And, mm-hmm. um, it's like when we can just put too much stock, it's like, then I'll feel like this or then I'll be yeah. good. enough. And it's like, man, sports, exercise, athleticism, it all has its place in helping with our mental health and depression and, and community, right? Like when I watch chiefs games now, I try to intentionally watch it with others because then that's a way I can have build relationships with other people. It's very, I try to make it a very intentional time. And so, yeah, I'm obviously glad that I have some championships, but also on a personal level, it's like, wow, I, I never realized just how much time I spent. Like, how, when are we going to win? Are we going to win? The, and it's like, it, it is literally just a game. And it is a source of entertainment and means for connection that can be taken way too far. And like, that's where our identity is. And then, yeah, Yeah. we can know people. And the only thing we talk to them is chief stats and something Stalin said a few weeks ago. (laughs) Can't even remember what I talked to my wife about, but I can remember Royals baseball players from 2003 (laughs) went nine and oh and set some records. You know what I mean? So yeah, I mean, I I don't want people to think we're, hating on sports yeah. but yeah it can't be taken too far kind of uh kind of miss sports sometimes i i uh it's just a different viewpoint here but i i used to watch every single cardinal game i mean like i said i loved baseball i loved college basketball and then i went through like that 
super terrible time in my life. And I came out of that with a completely different perspective on life in general. And I haven't watched any sports since then. And, uh, just, uh, it's interesting. It's kind of like, man, like I used to watch every Cardinal game and I have, I don't even know like who's on our team anymore. Granted, they're not very good they're terrible. anymore, but maybe that's what maybe that's why the Royals are maybe worse. That's it. <laughs> maybe that's yeah, what but, it is. Hey, we're still better right. than the Royals. We're still better than the Royals this year. So we got that. Gosh. That was the other thing. Matt Brown being better than me in sports. And then all the stinking Cardinals fans at Missouri state. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I, that's like one of the only reasons I wish we won in 2014. Cause I have this stat where since the Royals have been a team, the Cardinals have won three world series and we've won two. So I just remember like the Cardinals are so much better. And I'm just like, we've only, you guys are about the same. And I was like, God, if we had only, and it's like, why do I care so much about this? <laughs> I always thought it was odd. I always thought it was odd that Cardinals and Royals, people in Springfield would go at it. I'm like, I don't even think of the Royals. But I think of the Cubs, like for yeah, us, it's the Cubs, the Cubs. Yeah. like it's the oh, Cubs and the Cardinals. It's not the well, Cubs or well, Cardinals the, and the Royals. When it's did the, Cubs, the Royals get moved from minor league baseball? Is that, I mean, that's been like six <laughs> years ago, seven years ago. <laughs> I thought they were still in the minors. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> In Missouri yeah. or are they in Kansas? <laughs> <laughs> Got him. That's actually a fairly common conversation once you get out of Missouri. Like oh, even in Oklahoma, only a five hour drive. It's like, yeah, so is Kansas City in Missouri or Kansas? Like once you get out of like Missouri, like people yeah. associate Kansas oh, City with Kansas. Yeah. One last thing from the book that immediately made me think of Rob is the quote, uh, that he puts in here. He says, do things that develop your brain and your heart and not your biceps. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Big Rob. Just your, every said, day. Just said your brain and your legs. <laughs> oh, snap. Oh, got him. That wraps up our episode for the Books Brothers podcast. Next week, the bros will review and discuss the third mask, the material mask, on pages 61 to 82. If you haven't yet, buy or borrow The Mask of Masculinity, how men can embrace vulnerability, create strong relationships, and live their fullest lives by Lewis Howes. And read along with us. Check out the episode's show notes for the link to buy the book or to borrow it from your local library. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode. Please subscribe and give us a review. We would really appreciate it. Also, please consider sharing this podcast with a friend or family member who you'd think would get something out of it. Finally, we'd love to hear from you. If you were challenged by our conversation or have any questions or feedback, email us at connect at booksbrotherspodcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Until then, read, reflect, and connect.